What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. Question, do you have decision distress? Meaning because you've been overloaded with data, are you having difficulty making the many decisions that you are called upon to deal with each and every day? My next guest frames that issue. By the way, he was once a juggler in theatrical programs and wrote obituaries for his local newspaper. That's all before Seth Stevens Davidowitz earned a Ph.D. in economics from Harvard and wrote the bestseller Everybody Lies. Hey, Seth, welcome back. It's nice to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. What could you juggle in your prime? <laughs> uh, pretty much. I never got to fire or knives, but I could do uh, rings and pins and, uh, you know, obviously many balls, five balls usually. So, yeah, I was uh, that, and that was all in high school, my prime. That I stopped. So today, have you lost it? Uh, you know, as a writer, I procrastinate a ton and I tend to procrastinate with juggling. So that keeps me a little fresh. <laughs> I am a reader of obituaries. What's it like to write <laughs> obituaries for a local newspaper? Yeah, that, that was my first job, which a lot of people say led to my dark outlook on society. Uh, but, yeah, I was, uh, it's a little weird. It's, uh, you know, you think about death a lot. For a local newspaper, you know, they don't just write one or two obituaries. There are, you know, 20, 30 obituaries in the paper. So it's basically just all day getting updates of who in your county died and what they did. Your book, Everybody Lies, came out in 2017. We happen to have just released it as a book club podcast. I recommend that people uh, give it a listen because it's a good insight. You're a you're a, a data guy. You're a numbers cruncher. You have used yeah, Google exactly. searches in the past to measure racism and self-induced abortion and depression and child abuse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I also just enjoy saying your name. So now you are here to talk about a big survey of folks from many, many different countries on the subject of decision distress. First of all, what is that? Yeah, so this is a study uh, with, that I partnered with Oracle on, and basically decision distress is the inability to make a decision uh, because you have too much information. And so, so, Michael, you know me. I love data. I'm obsessed with data. I want more data, more tables, more charts, more numbers, more stats, more graphs more Excel spreadsheets, like I eat it all up. And I kind of thought the whole world was like me. 
Uh, but once again, I found out it's not, uh, and that a lot of people find that all the data they see in everyday life is just confusing, conflicting, overwhelming, and they don't know what to do with it and don't know how to make decisions because of it. 74% say the number of decisions they make every day has increased tenfold in the last three years. Why does necessarily receiving data mean you have to make decisions other than whether to simply delete whatever just arrived? Yeah, I think that, that's actually a good point. You could just throw out data. That's one of the things I recommend is you don't have to take into account every data point. You don't have to, you know, always change your mind dramatically based on some new data you've seen. Uh, but I think numbers have such power over us that uh, we think that there's something really, really profound and important in every number we see. And we're going to make the wrong decision if we you know, don't consider it correctly. And then many of us, it turns out, I learned, uh, just get paralyzed uh, by this information. And many don't want to make decisions, right? Including executives. Yeah, so businesses, business leaders. One of the things we found out, which was pretty shocking, is that 70% of business leaders would prefer if a robot made their decisions, uh, which is kind of surprising because you think business executives, like you rise up the corporate hierarchy because you love being in charge. You want to make decisions. You want to, uh, you know, gather all the information and, uh, decide what the right uh, path is. And I guess this says how big the problem can be sometimes uh, that people find that are so overwhelmed. They're just like, well, could, you know, could chat GPT do this for me? <laughs> Make sense of all this information. So I'm, I'm living what you describe. Now, I happen to be on the road this week, and so I'm, I'm not able to be as attentive to email as I typically would. And I try every week to zero out all of my emails so that I've, I've acted on that which has been placed in front of me. And what I find is that so many different things do require decision making that I need to invest more time in. But if we were not in an Internet world, like who would be making those decisions? I'm trying to understand whether it's a blessing or a curse that I'm even in a position to call so many shots. Yeah, I think sometimes kind of work expands. You know, and, and I think a lot of the decisions we make are unimportant. So one of the ways to deal with a decision dilemma, I guess, is decide how important a given decision is. Do you have to respond to every email? Do you have to get every email right? Do you, ha- you know, it's okay to make a mistake in a small decision. Uh, you want to put your time and energy into the big decisions. Uh, you know, so the fact that decision make the number of decisions we face have increased. You know, some people say tenfold in the last few years. Uh, well, the number of important decisions hasn't really increased that much. Uh, so kind of realizing that a lot of decisions we face aren't going to make or break your life. And it's okay to, as you said, throw out, you know, okay, I don't know what to do with this one. This one, uh, this piece of data seems conflicting with that piece of data. It's fine. I'll just make my best call and move on with my life. I think that's an important way to deal with this decision dilemma. Having analyzed this issue, having conducted this study and, and analyzed the result. What are you doing, if anything, differently in your own life? Uh, well, I, <laughs> I'd like to say, but this sounds arrogant, that I already know how to make sense of data, so I don't need to make any changes, but that's certainly not true. And just what you described, uh, having all these emails and not knowing how to respond to all of them and feeling overwhelmed, I definitely suffer with. I do try to consider whether something's a big decision or a small decision, and even you know, I, I kind of write down what are my big things I have to do every day. 
you know, and usually there are three or four that are really important that'll make or break a day, make it a good day or a bad day, and focus much more on those than the other ones. Uh, don't lose, you know, too much time uh, agonizing over them. You know, Seth, because I I try and be responsive and be responsive quickly, I can't help but expect that of others. So if I were to send an email to Seth Stevens Davidowitz and you didn't quickly respond, you know, I would I would think like there's something off. Hey, what what's up with him? You know, I, I sent that an hour ago. Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh yeah, I think that that you might want to. Yeah, the, the decision, the answer to that decision dilemma, maybe to see a therapist for, for that. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think it's okay for other people to take an hour to respond to an email. You know, a lot of people, including myself, which is why I may take more than an hour to respond, is I do my email in batches. So re- that that's the way to deal with the email overload. Is uh, you know, a few times a day, go through all your emails rather than always be looking at it, always getting notifications. But but again, so, you're uh, you're if, you're drilling you're drilling down not just on email overload, but the decision yeah. making that they then require. It's not even just email; just everything. I mean, think of the uh, COVID. I think a lot of this came to to the fore during uh, COVID, where I think we were all kind of asked to be our own data scientists, right? So we had all this information thrown at us, and these charts and these tables, and this study says that, and that study says that. And a lot of people, you know, and should I be six feet away from people, eight feet away? Is it safe to fly? Is it not safe to fly? Uh, can I go, you know, indoors or not indoors? Uh, you know, uh, do I have to be outdoors for everything? What about a family event? And I think a lot of us, I think that's, that's a, a, a time, a period uh, in, in human society where a lot of people can relate to the uh, information and data overload. Uh, that I think a lot of people felt like this was really confusing and they were getting more and more information each day and a lot of it uh, conflicted with previous information. So what's the big takeaway? Seth Stevens Davidowitz, a data scientist working in this case in partnership with Oracle, conducts a 14,000-person study in 17 countries and comes away with this conclusion. What is it? Uh, Data can dramatically improve our lives, but it's not working right now. And we need big changes in how we approach data, I would say, so to get to get to get all its value. And right now it's uh, we're in a, a worse that data many times makes things worse rather than better. And what would right be now, an, but it could what would make be things dramatically better? What would be an example of a change? Uh, I think a lot of people need to be more comfortable with uncertainty and probabilistic thinking. So <laughs> this sounds really nerdy and technical, but it's me, so we're going to go there. But I think, you know, a lot of times decisions are not 100% good or, you know, or 0% good, good, 100% bad. They're 60% good, 70% good. You know, the world is uncertain and confusing. And I think being more comfortable with uh, that approach to making decisions, I think, can help a lot. So if people, instead of expecting that the world's going to give them overwhelming, you know, unimpeachable, clear evidence uh, that, you know, this is a good decision, that sometimes the data is going to point in different directions and not freaking out over that, but just adjusting slightly their understanding of the world would help a lot. In other words, come to terms with a lack of certainty. That's what I think you're saying. Yeah, I think that's definitely what I'm saying. Uh, be, be more comfortable with uncertainty. And the data, the re- I think d- the reason data is so confusing to people is because it reflects the uncertainty in the world. 
And that's fine. Uh, and I think a lot of people, instead of thinking that's fine, thinking that's okay, sometimes freak out over that. Very interesting, as always. I should have said Dr. Seth Stevens-Davidowitz. Hey, Seth, it's nice to have you back, and I really appreciate your expertise, as always. Good luck. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. His book of a couple of years ago, Everybody Lies, really well done, and Dan released it as a book club uh just yesterday, right, Dan? Wasn't that our offering yesterday? Yes, yes, that's correct. Yesterday's book club podcast, wherever you get your podcast, just search uh, Smirconish Book Club, and that's the latest one, the top episode. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Today is Thursday, so there's another podcast to be dealt with. <laughs> there is another podcast to be dealt with. By the way, one... I listened to last week's, I listened I... to last week, the, the whole story of the hip. The hip trip, uh, that was, yes, that was the final journey, unless I do one about rehabilitation and, like, when I start running again. I, by the way, I'm going to get on the Peloton this afternoon. I'm oh, doing, my gosh. I'm getting on the bike. Yeah, yep, I'm getting on the bike. I'm going to do a low-impact Le- class. Leanne or Hannah? Uh, no, I'm going to do, I'm actually going to do Matt Wilpers. I already oh, have boy. it picked out. That's I have a, it stacked. That's, that's a mistake. That's a mistake? Hannah, what? Hannah, Hannah and Matt Leanne Wilpers would take awesome. very good care of you. Michael, you gotta you gotta just branch out, all right? Just branch Bradley out Rose. a little bit. Oh, Come you like on. Bradley Rose? That's oh my god! I yeah? love whoa whoa! I hear some tone in your voice, TC. No, I am. Um, I gotta go back love, and try him. Seriously, him. I tried him when he first started, and I wasn't crazy about him. So I will, on your recommendation, I will go back to Bradley Rose. Seriously. Oh. Oh, yeah. Very good. All right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, Michael, thank you. Today's uh, today's guest on this on TC After Dark is Ron and Sana. Wonderful uh, get, guy. Michael, I have to say good this guy, to you. Yeah. I have to say this to you. When I ask you, I've been dealing with him, as you know, for years, booking him 
for this program. Right. I asked him to do a very basic financial talk. He has three kids in their 20s. I have one. What do you tell them? What do you tell them? And he was instantaneous, came back immediately, talk about how fast you respond to emails, bada bing. And he was just approachable and wonderful and easy to talk to. And I asked all the questions that so you don't have to. And it's really, I think, an important one. So listen to it and send it to your kids. That's my recommendation. TC After Dark, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you. Uh, returning for a moment to... Seth Stevens Davidowitz, did any of that strike a chord with any of you? The idea that we are overwhelmed with data and the decision making that comes with it. And and consequently, the statistics are pretty stunning. Seventy four percent of folks say the decisions that they are called upon to make every day have increased 10 times over the past three years. Seventy eight percent say they're being bombarded with more data from more sources than ever before. And eighty eight percent suffering from ongoing decision dilemmas, meaning not knowing what decision to make. How about the fact that 70 percent of business leaders would prefer that they have a robot make the decisions for them? How are you coping with information Overload. I certainly feel it, especially when I'm not in my native environment and have a routine that allows me to just stay on top of everything. I guess what I'm really asking is, do you have a trick in terms of how you manage the decision making that's been necessitated by all of the information? Manico Beach. Is that how you pronounce it? Gilly, welcome. You're in Michigan. Manico Beach. Where's Manico Beach? Manitou Beach. It's over here in the center of the state. Down by the Ohio border, out here by the uh, MIS rest racetrack there, NASCAR. Nice. How's your decision making really ability? Nice. You know, I don't know if it's in my genes or what, but I have absolutely no problem making a decision. I've run my own business for fifteen years, and even if I have a lot of data, I'll take all that data in consideration, and I will make a decision. If it overwhelms me, I just go with my gut, and I have ne- I can never think of a time where I said, "Well, I shouldn't have made that decision." Do now, my you, wife, my yeah. wife could not get dressed this morning because she couldn't figure out what to wear in her closet. <laughs> so are you feeling like, as the data suggests from my guest, that you're being called? I get it. You make decisions. But are you being called upon to make exponentially more decisions than you had a couple of years ago? Yeah. So as my business grows, I have to make bigger and bigger decisions that affect more dollars. Right. But I'm more afraid of not making a decision or hesitating than I am to make a decision. So just, that must be something in my DNA. I mean, how did we ever get done what we got done before we had computer access and the Internet? I don't know. I, I do not know. I could never do the sort of things that uh, that I do on a day-to-day basis. Good for you, Gilly. Thank you for the phone call. Diedrich, checking in from Boston, Massachusetts. Hello. Hi. Uh, so there's a um, there's a fascinating sociologist that looked at the paradox of choice, and he uses the example of uh, jeans. And so 50 years ago, uh, everyone just wore Levi's, and everyone was happy with um, with you know Levi's. Everyone wore the same kind. Now, when you go to buy a pair of jeans, you've got a hundred different varieties to choose from, and you're told that there is a perfect gene for your body type. And so what ends up happening is that you have all this anxiety about choosing the right pair of jeans. You do all this research, and it doesn't fit you perfectly. And so what ends up happening then is you blame yourself for making the wrong choice. 
when in reality, there is no perfect gene. Hmm. Get you bringing that to the table, huh? Uh, yeah, it's, it, and so it's, it's one of the reasons why Apple has done so well, uh, because they keep their choices so limited. So all I, all I have to contribute are wheat thins. I just know that when I'm in the supermarket and I want a cracker and I look at the wheat thins, I'm buried in choice. And frankly, it's become the same with orange juice. I'm, I'm the last remaining person who likes a little pulp in their OJ. I, I see choices of all things except pulp in OJ. Wheat thins. Where's the original box? Just hit me with that. I hadn't yeah, thought about it with yeah. jeans. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't remember the sociologist's name, but it uh, it just made a lot of sense to me when I when I uh, read his book. Ah, TC will find it. Don't worry. It's all good. <laughs> Thank you, Diedrich. I appreciate it very much. Jeremy is standing by in Dayton, Ohio, to say what, Jimmy? Hi. Jeremy, pardon me. Hey. No, no worries. Hey, yeah, I, I resonate with the topic so much because I feel like we... Uh, society, similar to the last uh, caller, but about genes, society bombards us with so much more information, so much more data, so much more options. But he also, we also, they also pull us in a different direction because so much is about absolutism. You're absolutely this or you're absolutely that, and that creates this idea where you have all these options, but yet at the same time you feel like you've got to be completely, you know, either iPhone or Android or completely Republican or Democrat, and that anything that somewhat betrays your questions this commitment to this idea of what you absolutely must be creates a stress and anxiety because like, like person said, we get one life. We want to nail it. We want to, we don't want to mess up and make that wrong decision that somehow we've been convinced uh, will, will take us off the track of where we're supposed to be. Well, I keep telling myself I'd like to live a simpler life. I don't know if I really do, if I really do want that. Cause I, I, I feel what Seth was describing but the alternative of what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis doesn't seem so appealing to me either. I, I you know, I can't can't go back. And yeah, and and, I, and it feels as if the more you try to push against it, the more you're tumbling for it. I've got three kids, you know, and you and you feel like, and now that adds to the stress because it feels like the decisions you make for yourself impact them, and so you true. want them to live their best life as well. And so it continues to compound this uh, this stress. So I just appreciate it to know that. This isn't me going through this alone to hear that. No, 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 no. Apparently not. It's all of us. Jeremy, thank you for the phone call. I appreciate it. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts 
to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. Franklin, greetings in San Bernardino. What is on your mind today? Yeah, talking about the um, how the more information you have, the harder it is to make a decision. Um, this year is my wife and I, our 20-year anniversary. So this summer, she was supposed to pick where she wanted to go. So I gave her a bunch of information so she can make her choices. And the more information I gave her, the harder it was for her to make a decision. And we've been working on this since last summer. So two weeks ago, she finally gave up. She threw in the towel. She said, forget it. And in the last two weeks, I already picked where we're going. I booked our hotel, booked our airfare, booked everything. But she had literally, what, nine months to pick where we're going, and she just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Some people, it's just hard, yeah. So, so of of course, we all want to know, where are you going? We're going to the U.S. Virgin Islands. We're going to hit St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. Uh, St. John's, and it's an eight-week uh, vacation. How long? Or, excuse me. Sorry, eight days. I'm excuse me. Oh. Eight-day vacation. Hey, man, even eight, <laughs> even eight days is a lot. Eight days is a lot, but good good for you. So what's the, what's the lesson? Should you instead have just made it a referendum and said, let? what do you think? Let's go to the Virgin Islands, yay or nay? I should have just told her. Where do you want to go? And then just booked and said, this is where we're going and this is the cost. Right. Instead of giving her options. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I totally get it. In our house, it's sometimes like like herding cats and sometimes you just have to step in and, and be the heavy in a good way, you know, in a, in a good way. Uh, congratulations, number one. Enjoy your trip, number two. Allentown, Pennsylvania is where Annie is standing by. Hi, Annie. Hi, how are you? All good. Um, so I just wanted to mention that I think that humans are not really evolution, not prepared through evolution to be faced with so many decisions because through thousands of years we have always been drawn to our religion. You know, that's what people, we choose religion, and then we do whatever the religious beliefs say to do or whatever our religious leader tells us to do. And so now things are so different, our brains just don't work. I think that's why so many people are drawn to, like, follow a certain media outlet or celebrity to to go with their choices. They just they're used to following somebody. Well, that's kind of interesting um, that you put this in the category of why people would feel an allegiance to a particular media outlet when they have so much choice, because at least then there's one less decision they have to make. They're going to go get information and be reinforced in their thinking so they don't have to weigh in on a whole host of issues like they got their marching orders. I I think that makes it's too stressful to think about all that. I think it makes great sense. I'm, I'm, I'm wishing I had thought of it. That's really yeah, that's a really good insight. It it is an explanation. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're on a roll. I also want to. I also want to mention that uh, in working with in the medical field, I've learned that really how you need to base decisions is how is is not what is the best option, but what is the least bad option. That's at least how I deal with things. And you do that in a medical context. 
Well, I mean, that's where I learned it, but, you know, right. in terms of, like, making decisions. My job is as a guardian. I'm a guardian for people who have been adjudicated because they're developmentally disabled. So Tough I make stuff. decisions for other people. Yeah. And that's stressful, too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good for yeah, you. So, All right. Yeah, you, know, you need, you need somebody with think, a... You okay, need somebody well, with a harmful? Right. You got need somebody with a good moral code, religious-based or otherwise, mm-hmm. to, to play the role that you are that you are playing. Uh, Annie, thank you. Thank you very much for that. That was very interesting. I wish I, yeah, I, I thought that was a good insight and an, an explanation of exactly uh, why people are drawn to just stay in a, in a silo instead of, instead of using the, the clicker. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. At Audi, expectations matter. It's why what's standard on every Audi SUV are features that exceed yours. How we get there matters. The Audi family of SUVs. Progress you can feel.